he can empathize and understand. When we're praying or we're wondering, hey, is anybody out there understand? Is anybody out there know what we're what I'm going through? We know from reading what happened to Christ that um, man, well, he went through everything. I mean, he gave up the ultimate. Welcome to the Search Podcast, where we have conversations about the big questions of God and life. Today, it's a very special episode. We've got questions from the field. That's our our staff all around the country. Questions they've uh, given to me. I have requested that uh, that they've gotten recently as they've been having conversations with people in their cities. And we've got some great ones. We end every season with questions from the field. And so end of season five is here. Here it is. We got a bunch of great questions, very difficult, and I have the Search Nashville team here with me to help answer them. I've got Dave Wilson and Greg Joyner. Thank you guys so much for being my guests. No problem. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Thanks, Blaine. And also, you are a former Nashville staffer, so yes. welcome to the that's good point. That's Welcome back. R- right. We're representing right. the uh, mm-hmm. the Nashville. We're really proving that Search Nashville is the best of it's all, all of the cities. <laughs> Was there a doubt? <laughs> Never a doubt. And we're recording in Nashville. Yes, we are. So uh, on, on your home turf here. So guys, uh, get ready. Now, just a little bit. Uh, I want to give the listeners a little bit of background on you two just uh, for their information. So Dave Wilson's been with Search about 10 years, a successful career in commercial real estate before that. And before real estate was an Olympic gold and silver medalist in swimming in the 1984 Olympics. And Dave uh, Dave actually told his story, which is just uh, it's an incredible it's one of my favorite podcasts we've done. It was on season four. So if you want to hear Dave's story and kind of his journey to to his faith and what he's doing now with search, go back and listen to that. Dr. Greg Joyner comes to us uh, with uh, no Olympic medals uh, that I know of. So what have you done? Yeah, no. that's a great question. <laughs> kind of no, the same thing. <laughs> Greg and I, uh, we go we go way back. Actually, uh, gosh, I want to say, f- um, I'm almost embarrassed to say how long it's been. Probably uh, close to 20 years. Yeah, that is really crazy. When I first moved to Nashville, we met because my wife did her college internship with you at uh, the church. And uh, Greg was in in church ministry for um, how long? Fifteen years, yeah, maybe 15 years. about fifteen years. Earned his Master of Divinity, his Doctor of Ministry degree, and then uh, a few years ago left uh, church and decided that uh, search was really where he wanted to spend his time having conversations with uh, with people who have a little different viewpoint than uh, than we do, and that's what we love doing with search. And Greg, just thank you for being here and adding all you do to search and to the podcast here today. Um, let's just dive right in. You guys want to tackle these? So Dave, the very first question that, uh, that we received is, uh, it's kind of a difficult one, a serious one, and it goes something like this. So what if people change their minds in hell? Wouldn't a loving God want to make it so that they could have a chance to repent and go to heaven? Yeah, that, that's a good, that's a good, really good question. Um, and I find it interesting because the the person asking this believes there's a hell. There's a lot of folks now that that's not a popular belief. Um, so I find that interesting. But um, 
if I understand the question right, I, I think what he's asking is that um, if a person lives their life not knowing and just kind of going through their life, not making a decision uh, for uh, for Christ, and then dies, realizes there it, there really was something at stake. Can he change his mind and and uh, uh, realize the error of his ways or something? So um, I think that's the way I understand it. So I think in my mind the first the first way I look at it is how do you define hell? You know, and I'm, I'm in simplistic terms. I think hell is going to be the absence of everything that God has provided, all the goodness, all the love, all the all the justice, everything. So I think that's in my mind that's that's what hell is going to be. So the main question is the first sentence, but his second sentence I think is pretty interesting. Um, uh, and it really is a question about God's character. Is he loving? Is he forgiving? Um, and I would say that um, the answer to those questions would have to be no, if he did not make himself noble while he was, while we were here on earth. Because if he doesn't make himself noble, then then uh, knowable, then he's not loving. And um, and so, in my mind, I ask: Is it logical that if if God created the world and created us, wouldn't He want to be known? And I think what we read and what we understand and what we believe and what we talk to guys about is: Yeah, there there is a God who wants to be known, and so He is knowable. Uh, I mean, put it another way. If he created all of us in his image, is it logical that he wouldn't want us to know who he is? Who the you know? So, so I would say yes. He he wants us uh, to know him. So and he's knowable. So in going back to the main question about um, changing their minds, I would say I would look at it two ways. First of all, Jesus does talk about hell, and he doesn't talk about it when you look at it. He doesn't talk about it as a as a threat or a curse, but really as a warning, which if you stop, if you pause right there, you can say, you know, that tells you a little bit about his character. He is, he's warning those he loves that, hey, there is, there are consequences out there that I don't want you to be any part of. And, um, and so I think that that tells you a lot about his character. What we also see is that, um, secondly, that Paul, who, who's um, had an encounter with, with Jesus, wrote a lot of the New Testament, um, He's very clear in saying that um, that God made Himself known to us through internally, through our own conscience, and and externally through nature by looking at nature and observing nature, and and that that is within all of us, and we can choose to suppress that truth or to acknowledge that truth. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And the second point he made in that in, in that Romans 1 is he said that it's plain to us, which I think is really, really strong language. Um, he said that, he's, that God has made himself plain to us so that we'll be without excuse. So in my mind, that, that tells me that I don't think we can legitimately, legitimately go to um, – Hell, get down there and go. Oh my gosh! No kidding. This was all true. I, if I hadn't, I mean, if I if I had known that, I mean, for sure I would have believed it. You know, I know. And by the way, I now do believe, and I'd like to I'd like to get out of here. Um, I think based on what Paul is writing and what Jesus was warning us about, I'm not sure that's a logical scenario. So people ask, you know, hey, did God tell him? Did God reveal everything about Himself to us? And I, I think the answer to that is no. 
But I think he revealed everything that we need to know to make a decision. And um, so I think I think that God showed his love by sending Jesus to warn us about hell and give his, giving us a way out of that through through what he did for us. And um, you know, so ultimately we can make our decision. And the other, just in closing, the other thought was, you know, if if it is plain to us through our internal thoughts and conscience and also nature, just seeing how, you know, what science is showing us and archaeology and everything else, and we would reject that God, would it makes would it be a loving God that would at the end of our life would say, I don't care. I don't care that you rejected me. I'm going to force you to live with me forever. I don't think that's we could describe that as a loving God. So, I don't. Uh, hopefully, that answers the question. Would you add anything, Greg? No, I, I would say. I mean, and I've heard this, and this is maybe for both of you, just to try to engage this a moment. I've heard this my whole life, but the the gates of hell are locked from the inside. Yeah. And honestly, I've always been kind of curious as to what does that mean. And so, Dave, I was just curious what what does that mean? Is that is that insinuating we've had a choice and we made it? Yeah, that's interesting. I think that 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 saying is credited to C.S. Lewis, and I remember hearing that for the first time, and it and it took me a while to understand what it was. But I, I think what it's saying is that hey, the people who are there made the choice to be there, and they've locked the door from the inside, um, which is a really strange concept to think about. But um, which suggests on some level we've we've made the choice, and so the gift of free will and choice mm-hmm. here maybe is no longer a you know, the gift or the freedom that we have. So you've made your choice. In yeah. Other words. Yeah. I always took it. I always understood it to be that if you, that you really, you wouldn't choose different there. So like kind of what you're saying, Dave, if God's revealed everything we need to make that decision now, and we freely choose not to, we wouldn't choose different then. Yeah. Yeah, and I and I think it because I remember as a kid it really bothered me. There's 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 a, a time where it's recorded where someone ran up to Jesus and said, "Hey, if you do one more miracle, I'll believe." And I remember as a kid thinking, "Why wouldn't he just do one more miracle?" You know, and I think Jesus' point was, "Hey, I've done, I've already done all of it. You know, and and I've done enough for you to make a decision." And I think sometimes we play games with ourselves. Well, if you did one more, if I could see one more thing, if I get, you know, if there really is gold at the end of the rainbow, then I'll really believe, you know. So, <laughs> well, great job, great answer, Dave. Thank you. That's a that's a tough one to to start right off, Greg. Uh, you're not you're not getting away that easy. Yeah, I'm not distracted by that question at all now. <laughs> we're still thinking about it. You you have a difficult one too. Uh, so we're moving on. These are rapid fire, okay? So we could make a whole episode out of some of these. But um, okay, here's your here's uh, your question. This is uh, this is it. Why doesn't God keep giving us more scripture? Why do we have to rely on scriptures that are two thousand years old? Which is actually a really great question because it was one that was asked to me probably a month ago in a group of guys that I met through an open forum, an interactive discussion, and a guy who jumped in a group, and this is something that. He brought up. So um, I remember the first time I was um, in a class where we were talking about what the Bible is and uh, what it was written for. The particular professor said to me that the Bible doesn't tell us everything, but it tells us everything we need to know. And so a lot of this question uh, for me comes back to how do you approach the Bible? What was it written for? 
And so I'll unpack that in just a moment. But I will say this, as I look at um, just the real gift that the Bible is and the things that have just been so eye-opening for me, that you have a book, 66 books, right, put together, written over a span of 1,500 years, 44 different authors on three continents. I mean, it's literally <laughs> a miracle in a sense, right? That this there's nothing like it. It's unprecedented. And so... Um, some of that question to me is interesting because it's like it's kind of like chronological snobbery a little bit. Like, why not more now when literally over a period of 1,500 years, you know, this unique uh, book is crafted and it's got this unified theme and message that points us to Jesus. And that's my main point, I think, as, as I think about this question, too, is just there's no coincidence in the way that it ends. So Genesis beginning with humanity, Revelation ending with kind of the question we just wrestled with, mm-hmm. what happens, you know, to humanity. But you think about the Bible, um, it ends with Jesus, his life and his ministry and his commissioning of the Twelve, right, the birth of the church. So there's no coincidence in that, right? So the unified message of the whole book is getting us to understand who is Jesus and what is the problem, right? What is the solution to that problem? And he is that solution, right? So so to me, it's not a, what what part of, one of the questions I asked that particular day was, what part of the Bible feels incomplete to you? And what are you looking to it for? Um, so in other words, um, when I think about the Bible in general, um, the, the four core questions we ask as human beings, where did we come from? What are we doing here? You know, how do we live? Where are we going? Um, very clear on those questions, right? From Genesis to Revelation, God gives us a picture of why we're here. How do we live our life? How do we go about living? What's the kingdom look like? And so for me, it answers all of those questions, right? There's no necessity for more. It's sufficient in that way. It gave us Jesus as an ultimate solution to our ultimate problem, and it helps us answer, you know, those core questions that all of us are asking. What are we doing here? Where did we come from? So it's doing those things. But if I'm going to it looking to, should I invest in Bitcoin, maybe I'm a little off base. Does that make sense? So I, It depends on when this podcast is released. <laughs> <laughs> right. And So that, that, in short, I mean, you know, that's what I would, would go after it with, so... That's why Dave's doing this uh, search now, actually, because he invested all his money in Bitcoin yeah. and he had <laughs> <Yeah>. to. <laughs> no. That's right. <laughs> no. Um, thank you, Greg. Yeah. That's uh, no, that's helpful, man. Um, now, and I'll, I will say this, though, just to close that out. The word, why should I rely on, mm-hmm. is a very important one, too, which is also addressed in a previous episode. Is the Bible reliable? Now, if we had time, that would be a really deep dive, but um, the further I've gotten into that, the more convinced I've been this book is reliable. It's trustworthy uh, in a lot of different ways, and so a wealth of manuscript evidence is is kind of the case. So so you're saying, in a nutshell, if, if we understand why the Bible was written, which is to tell us uh, really the, the story of salvation and, and the story of Jesus, then there isn't a need for more. If we view the Bible as something different than that, we start asking questions about why we don't have more information. Yes. Got it. Good. That's great. That's fantastic. Uh, Dave, another question from yep. the field. This is a this is a really, really good one, and I thought a insightful and interesting one. So uh, somebody asked, if Jesus is the Son of God, 
then why does he call himself the son of man? Yeah, this really is a good question. And um, this one came from Mike, the engineer. Did it? No, no. Um, <laughs> but but he likes it. He's, he's it was really good. You know, and and I'll be honest, it, it's something I wondered about. And it, what's interesting is, I mean, this 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 questioner's dead on because. He ref- Jesus refers to himself more as the Son of Man than any other name. Some scholars say eighty-eight times, and um, I think so. Here's here's what. Um, so I had to dig into this because I didn't know this is really this is a really good question. So the Son of Man is a reference to um, uh, a passage in Daniel, where um, Dan- it says Daniel look looks up and he sees one coming out of the clouds. One like the Son of Man, that's where that phrase is. Uh, he's given authority, glory, sovereign power, and every, everyone from every nation worshipped him. So what we do know about the religious leaders at that time, uh, during Jesus' time, that were really pestering Jesus a lot, is they thoroughly knew and understood uh, their, ancient, their ancient scriptures. And so when Jesus referred to himself as that, they clearly understood that he was referring to himself as that, that promised one who's going, to, who's going to be given all authority and going to be worshipped by everyone in all the nations and sovereign power. And so um, they didn't like that. That infuriated them. And they clearly understood that. You know, some of the questions we get at these forums that Greg mentioned is, you know, well, did Jesus really ever... I don't see where Jesus really ever claimed to be God, you know, and I can say, well, okay, but what I do know, I mean, I wasn't there, but what I do know is that those who were there clearly understood what he was saying and went berserk. And there's recording after recording where he, he is, he is talking. And as he's talking, they're looking around for bricks, you know, I mean, they're going to throw rocks at him before he finishes his sentence. I mean, they clearly understood what he was saying. So, I like the title. I never really thought about it, but I like the title because it reminds us of really Christ's humility. I mean, he was sitting at the right hand of God in heaven and came down to meet with us, to join us because we can't join him. We can't in our natural state, imperfect state, we can't go to heaven. We can't, I mean, that's just, heaven is holy and perfect. And, and honestly, we wouldn't want it any other way. Uh, so he came to us and I just think it's a, it's a great reminder. And that title for me is something that, that is a great reminder that he, he was humble enough to come down. It also reminds me that, Hey, he can empathize and understand when we're praying or we're wondering, Hey, is anybody out there understand? Is anybody out there know what we're, what I'm going through? We know from reading, what happened to Christ that, um, man, well, he went through everything. I mean, he gave up the ultimate and, uh, and he never, it was really interesting. If you read, the more you read, you realize he never asks us to do something that he didn't do. I mean, that's just the ultimate leader right there. He never asks us to do anything that he didn't do. So I, I think that title is, is just a great reminder for us that of, of all that, that God did for us through his son. That, yeah, it's, it's a really good explanation. And the, the passage, if anybody wants to go look it up, it's Daniel 7, but it's verses 13 and, uh, and 14. So uh, pretty pretty interesting stuff and yeah, a great, 
Really good question. Very good question from Mike the Engineer. Let's see if he's got any more. <laughs> no. Uh, okay, Greg. So if God wants me to believe in him, he knows what it would take. So why doesn't he do it? Why doesn't he just make it more obvious? Yeah, so, you know, I think kind of behind and maybe a little beneath this question is is kind of what are you looking for in order to believe in God? What's What do you wish God would do or, or had done? And so um, this is where the Bible is fascinating to me because as we approach it, we— we go to it to read it, to understand it, and then all of a sudden it begins to read and, and work on us. So from that vantage point, I would just go back to the Old Testament and look and go, I wonder, did God show up in big ways for people and did they just believe? Or what about the New Testament? Did God do miraculous things and some people still didn't believe? Absolutely. Right? So, it's, so this question is coming from a place where a lot of people in the Bible came from having experienced God in dramatic ways, yet still wrestled with, did that really happen? Is this still real? So maybe in that sense, we in this question, we could overestimate how much we would trust ourselves if he spoke in appearance of an angel, you know, or waking us up in the middle of the night with some clear message on the ceiling. We would kind of spend the rest of our lives going, I wonder if that really was from God. Does that make sense? <laughs> That's a, a kind of a curious question I have or thought about, you know, that whole issue. But I go back to the nation of Israel and go, man, you see them interacting with God in tangible ways. And moments later doing things that you're like, what are they doing? Building a golden calf like they have God himself. Um, so that's it. I mean, what, what are you looking for? What would convince you? Uh, is it something supernatural? And just simply, uh, you know, a little bit of conversation around the word believe. I, I want to believe is what I'm hearing in this question. Um, you know, what would that take? And in my understanding of the word believe, and the most simple illustration I've ever been given and, and really helpful is, is about the, you know, French tightrope walker Blondin who crossed Niagara Falls. And several, just to make the story short, but several times later, he comes back to the crowd and asks, does anybody want to hop on my back and go across Niagara Falls with me? Of course there's crickets, right? No one wants to do that. And, well, his manager then hops in a wheelbarrow, right? And so across Niagara Falls they go. He gets in the wheelbarrow and crosses Niagara Falls. That, to me, is the best, the most clearest picture of what it means to believe. It's, it was putting his trust in Blondin, his manager did. He was doing what other people were unwilling to do. And so that's what makes believing so hard. And that's where I have a lot of empathy for this question is because it is essentially it's giving up control of one's life. Yeah, so that's a hard, for a lot of people, a hard ask because you're trying to transfer your trust, uh, we'd say, into the work of Jesus, right, to what he has done. So um, that's another thing. Just understanding what that word believe means, and I can acknowledge in the same sentence, that, that's a that's a tough, tough move for most people, right? You guys so. have probably gotten this question. In real, I know I, I've gotten it multiple times, I think even on this podcast. So, I mean, when you're sitting with somebody, is that kind of the response that you get or, or that you give? Or what What do you say that might be different if you're actually having a, a conversation? And, and I'll preface it by saying when I have interacted with, like, real live people that really say this, like, dude, if you're right – just have him write it on the wall or something. And I, 
and um, I, uh, you, you know, they they tend to not, when pressed, know what they want. When I go, okay, tell me specifically what could God do unequivocally and you believe, and I, I haven't ever had an answer. Mm. I, I interject here. I, I think there's a... Um... I think there's a deeper thing at play here, and um, it's great that people are asking that question because they're wrestling. But there's a great one of my favorite stories. Uh, it's in I think it's in John nine where Jesus heals a blind man, and um, the religious leaders who don't want to believe Jesus bring this blind man in, and they all know he was blind because he was begged at the same corner for years and years and years. And if you read the account, it's almost humorous because they don't question the fact that he was healed. They question who did it. And um, and they don't want the answer to be Jesus, even though he keeps, you know, and, and so it's it's really interesting because here's here's a group of people who admit they saw a miracle, but still did not want to believe that it was Jesus. So I think to your point. It's kind of, you know, people are saying, hey, if they would just do this and I would believe, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure that's really true. Yeah, I mean, if I'm at Starbucks, it, it's simple. We, we can fo- focus on what he might do or could do in the future, um, but the basis on biblical faith and trust in him is all on what he's done. And so the question is going to, for me, shift back to, well, what has he done? that I might could believe in? Is there anything, any evidence for that? And why, you know, why would I take that step into to the light in a sense? So we would focus more, more on that part of the conversation is my guess. That's a very, very good way to think about it, Greg. And I appreciate you uh, taking that question on. That's, a, that's not an easy one. So none <laughs> of these are easy. I think this might be the most difficult bunch of questions we've had on one of these End of uh, end of the season episodes. Okay, uh, I feel like Dave. I might walk out of here with a gold medal. I don't. I, don't really <laughs> know I hear no. they're giving them away. <laughs> <laughs> All right, back to Dave. So I, I took this as a little variation of the question that Greg answered a couple ago. So I'm curious yeah. to see what you did with it. But uh, somebody wrote in or asked one of our guys actually, uh, why isn't there a new version of the Bible written for today? And so I'm curious to hear kind of how you took it and, and yeah. your your answer and uh, and maybe how I was thinking about it. Well, yeah, because at, at first when I read it, I thought they were saying, why, why don't they um, have an updated translation, of, you know, with modern day— Can we get rid of all the these and the thous? Language, and say, well, yeah. we've done it. I think Man, we've done you that. you believe. But there's cool language now that I don't really understand. You know, could you put, you know, like Word, you know, could put some of that in there. But I don't—but then I, then I think what they're asking, I hope what they're asking, this is where I'm going to go with it, is why don't—because this thing is so old, why don't they just do a rewrite? You know, and and do a, a an update, I guess. And um, well, yeah, like I'm just thinking. So, uh, podcasts I just recorded, uh, we talked with somebody, um, and just talking about how antiquated even the worldview was. So, that, oh yeah. Like, so back when the Bible was, and I'm I'm not saying I think this, but mm-hmm. you know, we there were just things we didn't know even about the physical world and the globe and how you know, things, gravity. And I mean, there's a lot of stuff we've learned in 2000 years. Well, I mean, but yeah. And what, and what I hear is, you know, golly, that the, the newest parts were written 2000 years ago. Um, yeah. 
And I mean, if you just look at cultural norms today and how much those have changed, how can this possibly be relevant? I mean, it's a great question. And it's one I think a lot of people, but when you talk about rewriting, so I, I think we have to stop and go, okay, with, with related, relate, let's just say that New Testament uh, stories about Jesus, those are eyewitness accounts. So if we're going to write, rewrite eyewitnesses accounts, I, I'm not sure, I'm not sure if that moves us closer to uh, the truth and relevant or, or, or not. I mean, we're, it, it, well, how, how much better can you get than, than eyewitness accounts? And so I, I think what we would end up with is someone today interpreting what the eyewitness accounts were really meant, where the beauty of the Bible is we can all read it for ourselves and read what the eyewitness accounts were meant to say. And then we don't need we don't need some elaborate interpretation. Um, uh, secondly, if you look at it, and we touched touched on this a little bit earlier, you know, this was written two thousand years ago, but even then, um, it rubbed up against the culture. I mean, Jesus, I mean, that was that's what got him in trouble. I mean, he was he was not in line with the culture and the norms and what was going on, and he he called it out. And so, I'm not sure if it was ever intended to fall in line with uh, the, 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 the cultural norms or, or, but, but really call us to be out of that and above that and keep our eyes on him and not on the, the world and everything going on. So third, third thought I had was just the big picture, the, the big story of the Bible. Um, Cause it, I mean, you like the, the previous, uh, guy you were talking about said, you know, there's been a lot of changes and we know science, you know, knows so much more and all that's true. But if you look at the main story of the Bible, the main story is uh, mankind falls short of, short of God's standards. Um, God desperately wants relationship with mankind. And so God has to make the move so everything can be done so man can have that relationship if, if they accept if they accept the solution. Um, so if you stop there, that's kind of the big picture. That's that's still kind of where we are. I'm not sure what part of that needs to be updated. Um, so that's really kind of where we are. It's the same. It's the same problem and it's the same solution. Is is kind of what I tell people. You know, it's. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of noise and there's a lot of yeah, and there's a lot of weird stuff and headlines that we can all point to. But at the end of the day, it's still the same problem and the solution is still the same. Um, so, one of the things I think the questioner brings up, which I think is a really good point, or at least the way I interpret it, is. And the hard part for us today, living in today's culture, because we are, I mean, we're, we're living in today's culture and we can't exit out of it, is how do we gain more of God's perspective? You know, I never have to pray for more of my perspective. That comes pretty naturally. But how do we, in our culture that we're living in today, how do we gain more of God's perspective? And that's where I think spending time in His Word, where He tells us about His heart, and just praying, Lord, help me. You know, I'm I'm feeling a conflict here, and I need your help. And I don't think we ever have to wonder if He's going to answer those types of prayers because that's exactly what He wants for us. Yeah, that's a good point, Dave. And I, I pose a question to you both related to this because as I think about the question, I want to see if you think this is a valid response. But there's also part of me that says, 
I, I think a valid response to the question is I, I'm, I'm not sure if we take it the way you are. Why? So, for example, why doesn't God write, uh, give us an English version of the gospel story straight from him? We don't have to translate it from old languages, and he can just give us something new that's in our – and he can do it for everybody in the world, and there's no – Nothing's lost in translation, and he can always give us something new and updated, but it's the same story. You know, I don't know. I don't see why he couldn't, but he doesn't. And there, like, sometimes I just go, "There's, it's a great question. Mm-hmm. I could have to take it up with him. I, I'm not sure exactly why he doesn't. There's all the reasons you've you mentioned, which are, which are true, but it also seems like there's some of it we just kind of, I don't know. It kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier, where if we got a direct out of English translation, would that help us know God more? Is there something we're missing? Kind of what Greg was talking about. Is it what would what would be satisfied if we had it straight from American English? You know, yeah, I I don't know. Apparently nothing, but it. Yeah, but it is a it's 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 difficult. It's a difficult question. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I'm also just to to bring to the table as as the Bible ends, you know, towards Revelation, there is some pretty direct language around adding to these mm-hmm. words. That it's more of a warning, not not in favor of adding more books. Is all I'm trying to say. Um, and that to me is again not like laying down another rule or or you know, it, it to me it's pointing to more towards the sufficiency mm-hmm. of what it does have to say that it does speak to life and it does speak to the things that matter most in this world and how to live for those things that matter most. Um, but, you know, again, here in 2022, does it speak to every specific issue in our context? Is that word in the Bible? Right? Probably not. A lot of things aren't. I think that's where most people are wondering, maybe some of the heart of this question is, I wonder why it doesn't speak specifically or more to this issue or that issue. Right. So the the wisdom of the Bible then has to be trusted like, Proverbs, for example, is another great. Is, is the wisdom in Proverbs applicable for today? Mm-hmm. And the more you read it, the more you get into it, the more, again, I say, and the more it starts reading you. Yes, it is. But one of the challenges reading the Bible is trying to ask it questions that it just doesn't answer and trying to get, trying to force answers to questions that it's not addressing, right? Right. And that, that, that may stem. Potentially, um, that may stem in some way that we're reading it really from a selfish, we want to get something out of it. You know, okay, God, I got 10 minutes, um, and you're lucky I got, you got, you got 10 minutes, you're lucky you got 10, and uh, so I'm going to read something, and I need you to give me something that's going to get me through my tough two o'clock meeting I've got at the board room or whatever. Is that how your prayers start? Pretty much. And, um, (laughs) but what I've learned is, and when I'm trying to practice and I'm not there, but is like, Hey, no, the Bible is written. It's, it's about God. And I think the best thing we can do, it goes back to what we were talking about before about perspective. How do we gain God's perspective on us and our life and our career and our families is getting to know him better. Well, the best way to get him to know him better is is reading his word and just saying, okay, what does this tell me about his character? What can I walk away with with a better understanding? And I think the more we know somebody, the more we're going to become like that person. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Did you have something to add, Greg? Uh, no. You look like you're like— uh, I just have a silly thought, man. Yeah. I'm just sitting here going, there's actually—there's 66 books— 
And on a good day, I could tell you all of them, right? And if there were more, I'm like, at what point I'm overwhelmed? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, how much do I really know about what he's already said? And it's already a pretty heavy 66, book. I mean, it's kind of a big yeah, book already. It is a yeah. thick one. So. Yeah. Well, that goes to another. It's a in a serious point though. Is the the more you study the Bible that we what we have, the more you realize we. I'll speak for me. I can't handle it. There's so much there that I don't know what I would do with. I don't know what to do with what we have. It's so dense, and there's so much detail. Uh, yeah, there's a there's a lot. And yeah. then you take in that the Bible tells us that God's not only revealed Himself in the Bible, but He's revealed Himself in what He's made. In creation, in the world, and all that we study of his creation is, if done from the right perspective, a pursuit of God and learning about him and how vast the knowledge that is contained in creation. It's, it's the same with a, a small picture of Jesus's life as well, where there in the New Testament mentions these, you know, these are the things that Jesus began to do and teach. If all the things that he did were written, that like we wouldn't have yeah. enough books for them, right? Yeah. So there's again, what has God given us, and what does it say about Him, and what does it say about His Son, mm-hmm. that we need to know? He's not going to tell us everything, right? Great points. Great points. Uh, Greg, stay up on that microphone because hey, you're up, me. brother. Okay. Next question. Christians depend on eyewitness evidence for the resurrection. But there has been much written about how undependable eyewitness accounts can be. People's memories can't be trusted. Both statements, but I think you could make them into a question. How would you answer that? A great question. So, again, the focus here on the reliability, trustworthiness of eyewitness, you know, accounts. Um, it, it's kind of funny. The other day, I was, I was on, uh, I was in a living room of the TV and the OJ Simpson chase was on. Remember this with the, in the, in the white Bronco? Yeah. Yeah. It reminded me of just that case and the, the significance of what an eyewitness to that would have done for that case. Right. So think about legal cases. I mean, eyewitness testimony is a, is a really big deal. So in this case, it's not only an eyewitness, you have essentially four eyewitness accounts. And one of the most helpful, uh, I'd say, writers, thinkers that I've read in terms of eyewitness accounts is, is a man by the name of J. Warner Wallace. And I'll never forget when he mentioned, uh, as a former cold case detective, uh, when he comes across several eyewitness accounts that seem too in sync, he's actually a little more suspect. Like, if they differ some, that's actually more normative, right? And the idea being really simple, if if I took my family to Disney and, and Blaine, you took your kids as well, you came back and you were describing Engineer Mike, your experience, and then I began to describe my experience. We're talking about the same place, but we both had these different experiences. That's what the authors of the New Testament are doing. So that's, that's a little bit of the wealth of the evidence is their, their eyewitness accounts told from their perspective. A lot of stories are the same. Uh, there's some new, you know, different ones in each one, but... Um, I think that's kind of the beauty of it is uh, it's it's not that we're just left with this one eyewitness account to try to figure out is this is this reality, and then look at the time period in which it was written. You know, we've got appearances, Jesus making appearances to not just the four or the twelve, but hundreds of people, right? And so, at what point in that time period between the 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 events in which you know we're talking about in Jesus's life and um, 
when these New Testament letters were written, there were still hundreds, if not thousands of people alive who witnessed and saw or could have said that never happened. Does that make sense? And so I just think that there's a, a wealth of, again, knowledge and uh, information we can look at around those eyewitness accounts that they are trustworthy. And we don't live our lives this way. I mean, my daughter came back from, from cheer camp this morning, and my first question, well, well how did the, you know, the dance go, the performance to Waka Waka? And she begins to describe, and, you know, this girl did this, and the teacher did this, and I'm trusting her account. We do this every day. Like, I'm not going to question her, her, you know, understanding. Most of our life day-to-day is lived based off of eyewitness, you know, accounts of things. And so it's just kind of how we live life. No different here, but I'm just suggesting that we have, uh, in terms of the New Testament, a wealth of eyewitness evidence, you know? So um, that is cohesive, you're right, that... That gives us all a picture of who Jesus is, what he did. So, I always, to me, this is a, it's a motive. You know, I always go back to the motive, you know, because, uh, you know, I'm skeptical and I go, okay, what, what's their, you know, you know, politics, especially, you know, like, okay, I'm hearing what he, he or she is saying, but what, what, what's the motive, you know? And you sit there and go, okay, well, these, a bunch of guys after Jesus' death got together to write a story to make him bigger than he really was. Could that have happened? Yeah, of course that could have happened. But what would be the motive, you know? And then I picture, and how did it work out for them? You know, not not great, history tells us. Um, they were all tortured and murdered, and, and it was just not good. And then the other thing I think about is I just picture, okay, if, if the four of us are sitting around a table going, okay, let's make up a story that we want people to believe. And Mike walks in and says, hey, I got an idea. I'm going to put in a st- I'm going to put in that he walked on water. I'd say, wait, 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 wait. We want people to believe this. Does throwing in a bunch of miracles, does that make it more or less believable? Mike, everybody knows that answer, <laughs> right? It would make it less believable. So we would take that out, you know? And so, so you have to ask, then why is it in there? Why are these things that, would, that seemingly would make it less believable, why are they included? And I think the answer is because that's what happened. They weren't setting out to create a story. They're just documenting what happened. And we know that there were... Many more, um, not maybe eyewitnesses, but uh, but many more people wrote about the life of Jesus than we have uh, recorded. The the four gospels are the only four uh, biographies of Jesus' life that that we have from the first century. But Luke, in uh, the beginning of his gospel, tells us explicitly that he consulted uh, and that there were many things written uh, by others in uh, in his day about the life of Jesus, and he used some of those actually to write his gospel. And so we we know that there was, at the time, a lot of information that actually was written that we, that we don't have as of yet, which maybe we will. Maybe some of these are hiding out in monasteries in the Mediterranean that we haven't found yet. You know, we're always finding new Greek manuscripts and stuff. Um, but regardless, there's, uh, there's a lot of, of eyewitness evidence. So thank you, Greg. Yeah. Great question great answer all right dave your last one we got a couple more everybody okay so we're gonna you started and you're gonna end with a tough one yeah i know so, yeah thanks a lot what did i do to make you mad uh we're gonna talk about that when yeah. this is over no Perfect. okay so a long list <laughs> how can all the other religions in the world be wrong can that many people really be wrong man yeah this i i this is a t- this is a tough one. Um, 
I keep I've I can vividly remember having a conversation with a guy. We were at, we were at one of those rooftop bars in downtown Nashville, and he just said to me, he looked at me and he said, "I can't believe in your God because if I believe in your God, then two thirds of the world's population is going to go to hell." And it's a brutal. That is a brutal statement. You know, you're just like, wow, it just took your breath away. But the way I, I mean, here's a couple, couple ways. This is hard. So I'm going to, I'm going to stumble through an answer here. So Mike can edit it to make me sound really, really intelligent. But, um, well, we, we don't have that technology. We don't have that technology. Yeah. <laughs> Mike, up we your can auto tune you. We can make you sing, but I don't yeah. know if we can make you sound intelligent. I don't think I want to sing, but, um, <laughs> I think I think before we can say, um, wow, it's really arrogant and narrow-minded that you Christians say you're the only way, I think we have to understand the problem before we can judge what the solution is. It's just like if we go to the doctor's office and we got something, you know, something, a cut on our leg and, and uh, it hurts and, and he... If he just said, you know what, there's a hundred antibiotics, just go to just go to Walgreens and pick one, you'd be thinking, well, wait a minute, don't you want to know what what the ailment is before you decide what to give me? Um, and so I I think we need to spend time, um, you know, on what what's the ailment before we can even decide or judge if the Christianity uh, solution is right or if another solution is right. So. I step back and go, okay, so who is, it's, for me, it starts with, okay, who's God? Who are we dealing with here, <laughs> right? And if I, were, if I were going to describe him, I would want my God to be loving and forgiving and understanding and kind and just and holy and perfect and wise. I mean, I, if, if I'm going to worship somebody, I, that's, kind of, that's kind of what I want. Um, and that wise, I mean, that, that holy... You know, the scripture says, you know, holy, and that, that really means to be set apart, really be set apart from those who aren't. Well, then I look at myself and I don't need to give too far down that list before I realize, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not that, you know, on a good day, I might be three or four of those, but, you know, don't interview my wife. She would, she would disagree with that. Um, so I look at it and go, okay, so the problem is God's perfect and we're not just to over, overstate it. And Matthew, in Matthew 5, 48, he, he tells us, he says, hey, listen, because God's holy, we need to be perfect to get to hang out with him in heaven. And you're thinking, well, that's a ridiculous statement. Nobody's perfect. Um, and so if that's the problem, then what's the fix? Now, there can, there's only two options in my mind. One is we try to to fix ourselves and try to become, you know, it seems silly to say perfect, but we, we try to become as close to perfect as we can. I remember having a conversation with a group and we were talking, we were looking at Matthew 548 and just going, Hey guys, here's, here's, it clearly states, here's the entrance requirement into heaven. Perfection. You know, how, how's that working out for you guys? And one, one guy said, well, does that mean like starting now? And I'm like, yeah, it, it doesn't matter. You're not going to make that anyway. <laughs> you know? So, I mean, that's the reality. So, so one is we try to do it ourselves. The other is we accept a free gift. Talking about before when Jesus came down, he was the perfect sacrifice. Because here's it tells us in Genesis 3, the curse against us is death, right? And it's spiritual death. It's separation from God. And that's the curse against us. So 
what's going to fix that? Me being really good on, you know, four out of seven days a week is not is not going to fix it. Um, so I just don't think the self improvement. So then we look at okay, so what what's the what's the solution that that Christianity offers? Well, going back to what my friend said, does that mean just starting today? Well, that still doesn't make me perfect, even if I somehow became perfect, which, you know, whatever, that's, that's not going to happen. So if you look at it, there's a phrase that, that, um, Jesus used, um, when he was talking to Nicodemus and he said, you must be born again. And for us, that sounds like, what are, you know, what in the world, what's another translation of that Greek word? You know, that can't, where's that new version? Yeah. Where's that new version we were talking about (laughs) earlier? Um, but for us to be perfect, it means we've got to start over. And and um, and so the the Christian teaching, the the biblical truth is, hey, when we accept Christ's free gift, that because He's the only one that defeated death, He's the only one that defeated the curse that's against us, then we are reborn as new creatures because we can't just improve our way to perfection, and um, and so when. But you still have the underlying question of, man, Christianity sounds so narrow and so exclusive, and those are really, really bad things. And if you, but if you really look at and spend some time thinking about it and talking about it, is it it's narrow? It's narrow in the how, but not the who. It's narrow, and so it's it's narrow in the remedy, just like. Out of 100 antibiotics, this is the one antibiotic that's going to cure that gash in your leg from getting infected. Well, no one's going to go, hey, doctor, that's, that's really narrow thinking. Now, it is narrow because that's one out of 100, but that antibiotic is available to anybody and everybody who walks in with the same gash in their leg. So that's what I mean. It's, it's narrow in the, in the how, but not the who. And so... Um, I, I'll stop there, and, and I mean, I could ramble on, but... but um, no, please do. No, yeah, no, and this is, this is enjoyable for everybody. Um, but I just, it's a great question, and man, it's probably one of the questions we get asked a lot, and because it, it just starts off with, why are you so narrow and, and, and exclusive, and why do you hate two-thirds of the world's population? It's like, whoa. Well, I think, I mean, to, you're... Like the succinct way of saying what you're saying, I think is perfect, Dave. Of just that, really, you got to identify the problem. If Christianity's identified the problem, then everything that follows does make sense, as uncomfortable as that might make us. But I would also flip it around and say to your buddy on the at the restaurant you were talking to, it's not he didn't have that problem just with Christianity. Mm. You know, if you were if you. Pick a religion. Yeah, they're they're all exclusive. Well, you remember, so it, it, yeah. Several months, several uh, years ago, we did a, um, a study on world religions. Yeah, and, and we would instead of, I mean, we would go to their website and just say, okay, what do they say? How do you get to to heaven? You know, and of course, they everybody describes heaven differently, but but they were all basically similar in that that it was a list of things to do. Well, if the, and that would work until you realize the problem is perfection, not improvement or stop kicking your dog. You know, it, it's the, it's that, it's the P word is the problem. 
But that, but it's logical if you stop and think about it, because if we're going to be in the presence of a holy God who's perfect and loving and this and that and this, of course he's not going to be wanting to hang out with dorks like us, you know? I mean, he, we, we need to be reborn and recreated to be perfect. So when he sees us, he sees his son covering us. He doesn't see us and all of our goofiness. Yeah, that's a good, that's a good point. And even those lists, even the the major world religions that that do have more of a, a list or works based way of thinking about salvation or whatever they might call it, uh, there are different things. You know, they're different. That the reason there's different religions is because they're different, and they have different expectations and different things you're supposed to do or not do. And and so if you follow one, you'll pretty much by default not be following all the rest yeah. so if you picked wrong you're it just it doesn't work out no matter what you pick unless you want to be a universalist which says there is a god and everybody gets in and none of it matters yeah. just everybody goes and that's probably a whole different topic in podcast but there's there's a lot of problems with that view too so um i just think uh, i the we've we probably well. I know we've done a podcast on this whole thing like a long time ago. But we might need to do like a whole one. I, I'm, I'm going to add. I'm going to add one more thing because you know, when you sit, if you spend, I would encourage people to to go to one of the gospels and just say, okay, who is this Jesus? Right? Let's read about him from an eyewitness. Um, who really has, as we've talked about before, has has no motive to lie. I mean, it just it didn't it doesn't work for him. And Jesus keeps saying. Hey, my burden's light. My yoke's light. I'm I'm come to give you peace. I come to you know, and if you think about the context of that, the 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 religious the religion of the day was works oriented and do oriented and performance oriented. And here Jesus shows up and says, Hey, listen, I'm telling you guys, you can't be good enough to be with God, my Father. So I'm going to do it for you. And that's that's where the thank goodness I'm off the treadmill. You know, my job now is to fall in love and to trust in Jesus. Thank you, Dave. That's fantastic. All right, Greg. That's what I was, that's actually what I was going to say. (laughs) All that. Yeah. Perfect. Well, you know, you don't have to say it. It's been said. All right. You've got our last question. You ready? Here we go. Sure. It seems that if Christianity is true, someone who grew up in a Christian home versus someone who grew up in an atheist home would have an incredible advantage. How is that fair? Really getting to the character of God, what do you say? Yeah, good one. Sort of a a question of geography, where you grow up kind of dictates what you believe or the fate system you end up in, right? Um, Maybe a fun little social experiment in the room here would be to poke around at how each of us three grew up and see what comes out of that. So maybe we'll do that in a moment. But it's a fairness question as well. So it uh, sure seems like an uneven playing field. If I grew up in a Christian home, so to speak, my friend grows up atheist, it feels like, well, he's, you know, that's not a very even playing field. He's got a lot of ground to cover there. He didn't get, you know, all the church camps and whatever these kids got, you know, um, so one of the things, just a, a reminder about kind of where the Bible leads us, takes us in this area, again, just listening to more of the heart of what God is saying is that uh, sort of the environment where we grew up really doesn't matter. It's more about the openness, the heart, the seeking, the seeking of God, the openness to truth, right, and um, is what he's interested in, right? So we're sort of a heart, more of a heart posture towards 
those who seek him will find him, you know? And so let's just take, for example, um, you know, I've got a, a six-year-old and a 10-year-old, and I, I don't I don't necessarily go out in the backyard and play baseball the same way with the both of them, you know? Uh, I'll accommodate, you know, the way I treat and, 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 and bring along my three-year-old, or six-year-old, sorry, uh, in terms of the way I pitch or, you know, that kind of thing, the the miles per hour behind the fastball I bring at him, right? That kind of thing. I think, you know, same for my 10-year-old. She's a little further along. Uh, so I, I'm the one that evens the playing field. It's the father who does that is all I'm saying. And so when you think about God and, you know, the fairness question uh, in terms of geography where you grew up, um, sure, we all deal with some sort of preconditioning. This this actually came from a conversation I had from a, a, of a friend of mine who— uh, was uh, with me at an open forum, and um, this question came up around you know geography, and everybody kind of goes to well, if you grow up in the Middle East, and they start naming places that are largely, you know, Muslim, and so uh, on the way home, this came back up, and I said, well, tell me about your background, you know, how did you grow up? And his first response was, where well, our parents sent us to church, we went all the time, but my parents didn't go. And I said, wow, well, it sure sounds like you are more preconditioned to not be that spiritually involved with your kids or go to church yourself. You see how that plays out? So we all deal on some level with this preconditioning, yet here we are, you know, having this conversation about uh, that particular night about who is God and evil and suffering in the world. And so it, it all goes back to, again, I just I just look at it and go, uh, you know, the, the, the playing field levels out when you think about the heart of the Father for those who are open and seeking you know, and so, and we all know stories and you've seen people who come out of different environments. I'll, I'll, I'll just be one of the first to raise my hand and say, um, I don't, I don't know that I'd call my parents super religious growing up, you know? I mean, that, there was no dragging us to church going on. And yet here I am at 42 years old, uh, can't get enough of it, you know, want to know more about who Jesus is. So social experiment, let's go for it. I mean, you know, how how level is the playing field in this room right now uh, for you, Blaine? Well, so, I, so yeah, growing up, uh, no exposure. Didn't didn't go to church. Didn't what religion of any kind wasn't part of our our upbringing. Yeah, at all. Would not uh, not atheist. Not you know anything like that either. It was just not something we talked about or did, and didn't enter into our family dynamic really at all yeah i think for me i I was i was raised going to church and i i think for me it was really in my 20s and i said okay i i i know i know what i believe but i don't know why and so i'm not sure how deep it was to be honest with you and so i just kind of went on a you know, a journey of trying to figure out what, why, why do I believe what I believe? So it's, it's these types of conversations that really help me go deeper and get to know the character of God. Yeah. So again, and in my background, it's, you know, um, finding my way into, into church more in middle school, uh, not because it was necessarily that fostered, you know, or, um, I grew up in and around it. And so, I, again, one of the most important things is how interested is he on his end? You know, like God, how, how interested in he is he on 
those who are lost per se are valuable to him. And that's where, again, as you begin to read and understand uh, ultimately the message is that he is crazy in love with his children. That's us, right? He wants us to come to know him. And so um, that's one of the, you know, the main things we have to keep in mind when we think about this question is, is his heart towards us is, um, is always pursuing us, if that makes sense. So no matter, as you just heard, <laughs> what your background is from us three, all three different, um, yet here we are. Well, look, I had, I had uh, Camden Barkley on the podcast this season. He shared his story. He grew up in a great home with Don and Ann Barkley and, uh, you know, great education, uh, Christian-centered and uh, thoughtful faith and all the, all the stuff. And he, he ended up walking away and deciding he didn't believe that. Do you have those stories? So fair, it's a, that's a, it's a, this is a pretty challenging question and very nuanced, isn't it? No doubt. It really kind of what Greg was talking about, it really points back to the character of God. Does he want to be known? You know, and I just, uh, you know, we all have cell phones, you know, whoever made that cell phone, they want it to be used and they want it to be to our benefit, you know? So I don't, I don't think God would create a world and create us and then just not care if we, how we do, or, I mean, we get these dang updates on these phones every other week, you know? And, and, uh, I just, it just doesn't, it just, for me, it just doesn't follow logic that a creator wouldn't care about his creation. Again, you know, Greg said earlier, that's not how the real world, real world works. So why, when we go from the, our everyday lives to thinking about religion, do we change do we change the premises of our logic thinking? Anything else to add? No, I you know, I I just I just continue to say what seems difficult to us in terms of geography is is not a limitation. It's not difficult for God. And that's what we're seeing. And um and there's so many stories in the world about people who grew up in far and Christianity is the story of God coming to people in a far away place so to speak you know so um yeah that's about it well guys this was really really fun thank you for taking the time to think through all of these questions and for answering them so well uh, i really really loved our conversation and thank y'all both very very much for being here and i want to thank everybody for listening to the search podcast if you've liked season five this is it no more episodes for probably six weeks or so. February, look for season six if we're not canceled. <laughs> if Dave didn't get us canceled here on this episode. All right, y'all. Uh, we've appreciated it. Have a great Christmas. We'll see you next year.